0: Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Amen, ladies. I don't put a spring in your step. That was a great number. Lifting our hearts in exultation to the King of Kings. If you have Bibles this morning, on this beautiful Mother's Day, please take them. and Let's go to the Old Testament. What are the two books in the Bible named for a woman. What would they be? Ruth and Esther. Let's go there. I do see on the back, uh, in the foyer area, the Welcome Center, there is a sign-up sheet for going to the Sight and Sound Museum in Pennsylvania, and the theme of that play will be Esther. Hope you can be involved in that. Sign up for it. Save your money. It's in October. I think we're on a great trip. I'd like to fill a bus up. So if you have a friend, perhaps not even part of this ministry that'd like to come, see Barry about that. And I'm sure we can find a place for all paying customers. Esther chapter one will be there in just a minute. It is uh, always a wonderful day in our church schedule, Mother's Day, to just honor you who are moms. We know the desire of, um, of all of our hearts is to just celebrate with mom a little bit. That's why on this day, there's a couple, three days we do this, we don't have an evening service. We suspend that so you can hang out with mom and spend a little more time with her and the family perhaps. Uh, if she's not living, I know you'd still like to celebrate with her in glory. Just hang on, be patient. It won't be long before we'll uh, join, as the song says, by the riverside. Uh, And uh, we'll celebrate forever with the saints in glory, the saints above. One little boy um, was uh, saying goodbye to his mother who was about to expire because of a serious illness. And he asked her, he said, Mama, when I get to heaven and come find you, how will I know it's you? Well, son, she she said, she replied, I'll just call you by your name and say that thing that I said to you so often on this earth. And he says, uh, you know what that is, don't you, son? She, he said, yes, mama, I do. And he said, she says, well, what is it? Well, may the Lord help you, son, if you ever do that again. <laughs> That's the phrase. Amen. We've all heard mamas correct us a little bit along the way, and we're thankful for the correction instruction, structure and admonition that came from godly mothers. We appreciate your undying and unselfish ministry in our families. How could we ever ever attempt to tell you how much we appreciate you. We can't. Even though cards cost a lot, they don't measure up with the sweet sentiments inside. They don't condense and capture our hearts for you. We do appreciate you. We love you. Thank you for uh, what you have done in our lives. I love the poem. It's called A Homemaker's Lament. It says this, A Housewife's Lament. Make the beds, bandage heads, straighten up the room, wash the windows, cut the grass, see the, t- see the tulips bloom, drive the children to school, drive them back again, have the cubs to a meeting, then clean the den, serve on my committee, attend the PTA, forgot to buy the children's shoes, can't do that yet today, pay the bills, write a note, fill the cookie jar, oh dear, I forgot to go and have them change the oil in the car. Catch up on the ironing, scrub the kitchen floor, answer phones, pay the bills. Need I list some more? My pet peeve, I must admit, you surely will agree. When someone asks, are you employed? I answer, no, not me. (laughs) Moms, you do so much, as that little video reminded us of, and we're thankful for you. Sorry for not telling you more often how much uh, we appreciate all that you do. Well, it is this uh, privilege of mine, to, and often it is a quandary for a preacher on Mother's Day. You want to say something about a godly woman in the Bible, and uh, we're thankful. I thought about Esther, not that we know much about her family per se, her children, but she is a woman, and her life, in a broadly, broadly speaking in a sense, her life teaches lessons not to just women or mothers, but to all of us. There are applications in this book for all of us, and we're just going to do a flyover, but pick out two or three uh, wonderful lessons from the life of Esther. It's one of, again, only two books named after a woman in the Bible. Uh, A little boy was listening to his pastor preach one day, and the pastor said, An honest man is the noblest work of God. And he came up to his pastor afterwards and said, No, sir, my mama is the best thing God ever did. (laughs) And so we see the great character uh, of uh, this lady by the name of Esther in the Bible. Are you there? We'll begin looking in just a moment. We uh, thank you, Lord, for how you've led and directed us and how you've influenced us in a godly way through our parents, especially today. We think of our mother, and I do thank you, Lord, for the Little story in the Bible, tucked away, the beautiful story of Esther. And I pray that we would take home on this Mother's Day some wonderful principles about her response and her courage, her standing strong in a very difficult place and time. Thank you for her character, and may we all be ascribed to be more like her in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just apply a few principles to courageous living. Uh, You will find her life story. Some of you know a lot about it, but uh, if you don't, it'll be a great day for us to just remind ourselves. The Portrait of Great Courage is really a story about a beast, Haman, about a beauty queen, Esther, and about a blessing, how God, in mercy, rescues his people from a dangerous situation. Really, the Bible is about a rescue, isn't it? Redemption. It's a love story. The Bible is. God in mercy found us out. And it's a portrait we see reflected in the life of Esther. Esther, I believe, in terms of an outline this morning, was the perfect person for what God wanted her to do. She was placed in the perfect place for what God wanted her to do. And thirdly, she had a perfect attitude, a response to what God called her to do. And all of you ladies have a perfect place in our lives. You may not be perfect people. Let's take that first point. None of us are, but we have a calling from God, and God has uniquely placed us in the family and the place that He wants us to be, even the time frame. You think about the kind of the overall national pallor that's being cast because of ongoing pandemic and because of political unrest around the world. There's all kinds of talk of doom, but God has placed us, amen, for such a time as this, just like He placed Esther God made no mistake in placing you in this world for this particular time. And moms, God made no mistake in putting you in the home that you're in, giving you the husband that he's given you and the children. God didn't make a mistake about that. Just like Esther, we have a, we're perfect for what God's given us to do. Well, let me catch you up on some background. We're in the book of Esther. Always when you kind of drop in an in Old Testament text or whatever text, it's good to paint a picture of where we're at. Again, it is a story about this beautiful gal by the name of Esther, a beast by the name of Haman, who wanted to destroy the Jews. He had a vendetta. He wanted to kill them all. These are the Jews that are resident in Persia uh, during a, just after the Babylonian captivity, and it's about a blessing, how God intervenes, how he swoops down through this fair-looking beauty queen and through her... Testimony in the palace is able to reverse uh, a verdict or a edict by the king at the time to destroy all the Jews. What a great story it is. It takes place over the place or space of about ten years. Intriguing story of God's rescue. Her name, Esther, in Hebrew is Hadassah or Myrtle. It's really about a sweet scented plant, is what her name refers to, fragrance of God's grace. And of course, most of the Hebrew children in captivity got both a Hebrew name as well as a Persian name. In this case, her Persian name was Esther or Star. And she became the rising star that really reflected the grace of God in a very dark and dangerous culture. We're thankful for her story. She's just a slave girl, really, in the context. She's an orphan, placed by or raised by her cousin Mordecai, a man. We understand a fair bit older than she is who adopted her in and took care in the the face of the fact that her parents were gone or killed. He took over and raised little Esther for the glory of God. In the dark history, we find ourselves in Jewish captivity. God turns his spotlight on one little orphan girl raised by an elderly cousin, Mordecai, who had a job at the palace gate, some sort of official capacity there. In a day when women were demeaned, second class, objectified, belittled, trod upon, God uses the story of Esther. God has done more for women throughout the history of mankind than any feminism movement could ever do. God elevates the stature of women, the honor of womanhood, and the role of Esther is really a shining evidence of that. God knew that evil Haman would rise to power within the, within the Persian court. Look at chapter 2, verse 7, as we're introduced to this little girl. He brought up, we're talking about, let's go back to verse 6, who'd been carried away, this little captive girl uh, into captivity with Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, you know that name, the king of Babylon had carried away. The captives came. It's nearly 70 years later now. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and her mother were dead, took for his own daughter. She will be really the main player in this wonderful story, true story in the Bible. Beautiful little girl. Esther rose to the defense of her people. God uses her feminine voice. Her sweet, kind spirit, in that circumstance, to do great things. In fact, she wins the attention, as we will see, of the king of Persia. Becomes his bride. Now, Oriental men didn't think much of women in that time and day. In fact, they had a prayer. They prayed. They prayed nearly every day. Lord, they would say, "Lord of the world," they would pray. I thank thee that thou hast not made me a woman. And yet, God uses this little girl. Unlikely, Esther, to change the course of history. What a great story. What a powerful, glorious plan. How marvelous it is of God to create the woman. Amen? Three of you. Men, you ought to be a resounding amen, especially on this day. It always amazes me, mystifies me, thrills me when I consider what a great wonder it was when God made the woman. How special. Is that creation? Esther's beauty first attracted King Ahasuerus, Xerxes I, son of Darius. What do we know about Darius? Darius put Daniel in the lion's den. He followed that king, and it was the secret charm of Esther that won this king's heart and trust, her inner beauty that radiated, that kept his favor. He Loved this gal that soon became his wife. I used to ask my mother before I left home to college, tell me what I should know about women. (laughs) I was transparent, a little bit naive. And so I said, Mom, these are the four years of my life where they say, preachers say, these are important years because you might get married because you're going to college and this is the time in your life when most folks do find their life partner. She would just smile, Mom would, and smile and say to me, Oh, son, the marvels and mysteries will never cease. And that's all she would say. The marvels and mysteries will never cease. Isaac Dennison would say it this way. The entire being of a woman is a secret that must be kept. What was Isaac saying? He was saying this. I don't think you will ever understand a woman. (laughs) That's what I think he was saying. Like a diamond, however, the soul of a woman is multifaceted. When I married Robin, immediately I knew that she had an intuitive another language. Women speak another language. They have another sense or two than we have. They have more sense than we have as men. But I would remember as we, early on in ministry, come to church, come back, and after church we talk about, we do this on the way home. We talk about church and you're know, you a preacher and a preacher's wife, that's what you talk about all week long, church and church stuff. And I, I would talk to her about that, and, and she would say, something's wrong with Miss So-and-so. And I would say, how do you know that? Did she tell you? And Robin would say, no, no, I, she didn't say a thing. I said, well, how do you know? She said, I just know. <laughs> I'm a woman. We know these things. And you do. Or I'll sneak out some morning and get a donut that's every other morning. It's not every day. And she'll say, you got a donut today, didn't you, honey? I got a guilty look or something. I said, how did you know that? Well, she says, I'm your wife, and I just know you're, you're hiding something. You have a guilty look, and there's powder all over your tie. <laughs> and there's $2 missing from my purse. You got a donut. She's usually right. Women are sharp that way. In fact, I am for women in the military. Take them to the front lines. They'll know where to shoot. Just shoot over there. They're over there. How do you know it? I don't know. I just sense it. They're over there, but don't hurt them. Well, there are some famous names in history, this part of history, this time, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, among some that have occupied the pages of our Scripture in the Old Testament during this time, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all these were Hebrew captives and champions of the faith, but I'm so glad God puts in the story of Esther. Esther has 10 chapters, comprises 10 years in history, 483 to 473 B.C. Timelines, of course, descend or move to smaller numbers before the birth of Christ. Esther lives about five centuries before Christ, and King Artaxerxes or Xerxes I is reigning. He's the grandson of a Ahasuerus, and this is a title given to more than one man. The book opens with a long-winded feast where the king is planning with his cohorts and dignitaries his next campaign against Greece. Greece is a rising power. And so they're planning, and it took uh, months to do this. And this is kind of the culmination, the convocation of all these plans. There is a seven-day feast, and everybody is drinking plenty, and lots of folks were drunk. The king himself had too much to drink, and he was soused, as they say, and it was a really a raucous party. As the curtain opens in chapter one, the feast is in progress. Thousands of guests, as I mentioned, politicians, dignitaries, nobles are invited to this big gala event. In fact, there's even a a little bit about the tapestry and the decorations in verses 6 and 7. Beautiful, ornate, opulent decadence characterized Persia at this time. They were the empire that was reigning after all. Great details are given about the colors, the curtains, the pillars, the marble, the table furnishings. And Queen, at the time, the Queen Vashti, or Vashti, whose name simply means the best, or the dominant one, the one over all the harem, was hiding in a separate room with, a different, with her, her ladies giving the party for them. Well, as the feast progressed, inhibitions were lowered by the alcohol. And verse 11 says, they tried to bring the queen out, Kring Vashti, the queen, before the king with the crown royal to show the people, the princess, her beauty. For she was fair to look upon, chapter 1, verse 12, but the queen refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore, the king was very wroth and his anger burned in him. And so he asked the men, what should we do about this insubordination? And they told, they told him, we can't have this, it'll become pan, a pandemic, <laughs> Every man's wife in the empire will begin doing this kind of thing and rebelling and becoming insubordinate, so we can't have this. De-queen her, defrock her, dethrone her, get her out of here, divorce her, and find another one. Well, they begin a search. Sounds a lot like Cinderella, doesn't it? Although there are some details that are different, obviously. This is a true story. And they go on a hunt, it takes a while, to gather up all the pretty, fair maidens of the empire. And because Mordecai works at the palace gate, it's hard to hide his adopted daughter, Esther. She's always around. It was hard to hide her beauty as well. She shone among all those around her. Bible historians have a difficult time with the book of Esther. You know why? Well, glad you asked. First, God, though He's moving throughout all the chapters of this wonderful book, His name, God's name, is not mentioned one time, although He's behind every scene in this book. Secondly, Jewish girls were not supposed to marry a heathen foreigner. Deuteronomy 7 tells us that. No Jewish girl was permitted to have intimate relations with a man, not yet her husband, Seventh Commandment. Yet Esther's placement in the king's harem was clear to all of the day. Thirdly, her diet once joining the harem was not kosher. Daniel found that out. In Persia, the royalty did not eat what the Jews did back in the homeland. And not only that, This was, the timing of this is right after um, the king had signed a decree where the Jews were actually allowed to return to the homeland. And so Jeremiah had said, once that happens, come back to the land of covenant where God can bless us again. But many, in fact most, by some account, stayed. Most of the Jews stayed in Babylon. And Esther and Mordecai were some that stayed. We don't know why. Well, we know from Hindsight that God used him in a, used her in a special way. God overrules. And another thing, here's a Jewish girl who even, in a sense, lies about or withholds the truth, not the same thing all the time, about her Jewish nationality. Chapter 2, verse 10, her, her, uh, her cousin, who is her guardian, her custodial cousin, who was raising her, told her once she won the beauty contest, now don't tell the king about your nationality. So she keeps that a secret. You say, how in the world could God bless that? Well, God overrules our sinful ways and sometimes our mistakes. Aren't you glad he does? God uses her. The real hero of the book is not Esther. It's the silent and unnamed hero of providence. God's wisdom and love overruling in man's choices and bringing to bear what he wants to bring, be brought to bear. and He's the one that in our lives takes the mess of our lives. I said the first point is she was the perfect person for what God wanted her to do, not a perfect person without sin. All of us don't qualify, but aren't you glad that God has a way of taking the mess of our lives and doing wonderful things? You wonder sometimes, what can God do with my life? Maybe you're a mom here this morning and thinking, you know, my background is, is not that free from its difficulties and trials, hardships and hurts. Maybe there's been an abortion, a rape, incest, drunkenness in your past. You think of your life as being so marred compared The stories you might hear at church, you've failed and sinned and messed up and you're thinking by comparison, how can God use my life and my home and my kids? I didn't grow up singing the Sunday school song. We didn't even go to church and yet God has a way of doing exactly what he wants to once you're committed to him. Esther wasn't perfect, but listen, she was the God-ordained choice to be the perfect person for the job God gave her. At the right moment in history, she rises to prominence. Don't feel like your life is over because you've been either the victim of abuse or you've had difficulties in your life or you've gone off the trail. Turn back to God and allow him to use you in a marvelous way in your family. Don't let your past derail the present, your devotion to God. Be the light of Christ in a dark palace. So they found Esther. And I'm sure that if Esther could have written her own story, she would have said, I would like to have two of my my own parents raise me. Mordecai was probably a great, no no doubt he was a great influence. And I would rather be back in the home country. She didn't have a lot of choices as a slave girl in that culture. She pretty much did what people told her to do. And so she maybe didn't have the choice to return with those who are going back to the rebuilding of Jerusalem and Israel. And so she was there in the palace in Persia where the men were evil. And the culture was in declension, so to speak, immoral, godless, idolaters. She would have chosen, I'm sure, to have two parents raise her back in the homeland and fall in love with the neighbor boy with a good Hebrew name like Jacob or Isaac. but she didn't. She grew up in a difficult situation, surrounded by darkness and difficulty. Well, The real hero, as I mentioned, of the story is God. She was, first of all, that God-ordained perfect person for the job, stately, regal. She was poised, no doubt beautiful, certainly a sense of character, not perfect, but the perfect person for the purpose God gave her. One of Satan's greatest... Ploys or tactics is to get us to believe or discredit ourselves by saying, well, someone else could probably do a better job at this than you. But you know what? Mom, I want to speak directly to you. God has placed you in your home with your children and your family on purpose. No one else can be the mom to those kids like you can. You're a one of the kind You're perfect for the job, and you're intended by God for the day in which you live. You've come, as we could say, to Hampton, Georgia, for such a time as this. No, not perfect, but God has placed you in just the right place. What happens next in chapter 3 in the story is that Haman, a vice president of sorts, second in the kingdom, rises to power. He's a descendant of Esau, an Agagite. And I'll just kind of condense some things because of time this morning. He develops a grudge against the Jews because of Mordecai. Mordecai, when, whenever Haman comes to, the, to do his uh, official bidding at the palace or the governmental center per se, he passes the place where Mordecai the Jew is. And Mordecai, Mordecai knows about his background and knows of his family, his family tree that he's of the descendant of Esau. And so instead of bowing in obeisance to him, he stands strong while everybody else in the the temple court is bowing down to the great Haman who's proud, puffed up. And here's Mordecai, the slave, standing, not bowing. Chapter 3. And this irks, irritates Haman. I call him Haman the horrible. And so he gets this grudge developed against Mordecai finds out he's a Jew, comes up with a plan, right? To eradicate, as these plans have been always satanically induced throughout history, to destroy the Jew. And so he comes to the king, Ahasuerus, Xerxes I, different names for this guy, and says, guess what? I'm going to cough up from my own account 10,000 talents of silver. I'm going to fund this thing, and what I want you to do, king is I want you to destroy all these who are really anti-king, anti-God. They're, they're not idolaters. They don't bow before me. They don't respect you. So if it's okay, let me just eradicate all the Jews in Persia. The king lifts his glass to that of wine and says, that sounds like a great idea. Less opposition, the better. Less chance for rebels to rise, rebels to rise and create a coup. And so he takes the 750,000 pounds of silver, excuse me, I said, I said 10,000 talents, but it amounts to in, in weight 750,000 pounds of silver. I don't know if you have that change laying around your house, but that's worth millions and millions of dollars. And so they cast, as the very suspicious Persians, they cast lots for the day upon which the, the, the lots were called in their language Pur, from which we get the feast of Purim, Purim for the Hebrews. They set the date for about a year ahead, giving the Jews a full year to prepare for this attack. Well, this word spreads around, of course, by decree, spreads around the kingdom. The slaughter of all the Jews yet resident in Persia was legitimatized by this decree. And so Esther, who is a queen and a Hebrew... And she's still holding this secret from her husband, the king, that she is a Jew. Hears of this plot almost last. But Mordecai is sure to tell her about it. First of all, Esther was the perfect person for what God wanted her to do. Then she was in the perfect place, the right place, the perfect place for what God was planning to do through her. Maybe today you're thinking, ladies or men, for that, I don't like my life circumstances. I don't like my home, my family, my job, my spouse, my neighborhood, my country's policy. So I'm out of here. I'm moving. No, God had Esther in the right place. It wasn't an easy place, but it was a place of service and sacrifice. And that's exactly where you are, mom. It's not always easy. We saw in the video, it's not always easy being a mom, is it? But what a place of opportunity it is. It will take, I believe, increasingly more and more courage to say, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. I stand for truth. The Persian palace, as we've already noted in chapter 1, is a, it was a very godless palace. But yet it was a perfect place for the light of a rising star to shine, the grace of God, and I'm telling you, God has placed you and me in this culture at this time for such a time as this. And mom, your influence will be generational. We talked about that last Sunday night. Your influence, your family. And so Esther has a conundrum, right? What is she going to do with her nationality if it's found out? And certainly it will. Mordecai Mordecai tells her that. Certainly it will be found out that you're a Jewish girl. You're not going to be exempt from this persecution You're apt to lose your own life. Well, this news unsettles the city. It devastates Mordecai. And we've seen that, uh, we've noted that end of chapter 3. We could take a look at verse 15 there. Chapter 3, verse 15, we've seen what it's doing. The post went out being hastened by the king's commandment. The decree was given in Shushan the palace. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. And that's how chapter 3 ends. After, And I'm condensing some of the details for sake of time. We're not reading the whole book, but I'm telling you, this word came out to the people. The people said, what, what's going on? We, we, don't have any, we don't have any bone to pick with the Jews. Haman did because of one man that wouldn't stand and bow before him. He then decided to take it out on that whole race of people. Well, it unsettles the city and it devastates Mordecai. We see that in chapter 4. As the chapter 4 begins, you see him dressed like Hezekiah was last week for a different situation in time. He rent his clothes, found the sackcloth with ashes, and went out in the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And his Adopted daughter, Esther, in the palace hears that her daddy is crying in the city. And she, by extension, is upset too, and she wants to know why. And his response is, Esther, you may be the queen, but you will not be spared, for you are a Jew as well. Verse 13 of chapter 4, Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, saying, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall be an enlargement, a deliverance. Arise the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Mordecai was, was, was sure that God was going to protect his people somehow, but he wanted her to know that she might be a part of this answer and solution and who knoweth whether thou, I've underlined this, and you ought to as well in your Bible whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai with this answer, Go, gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me. This is a big decision. And neither eat nor drink these three days, neither day or night. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will not, I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did according all that Esther had commanded him to do. She's in the perfect place for God to use her life in a marvelous way. And I, I don't know what God is going to do in the days ahead. But mother, mothers, you have a great influence on stealing the backbone of your sons and daughters to live courageously for Christ as Esther did in a very difficult... and when she and this is the last point this morning when she says if I perish I perish she is not doing this tell more to KI whatever no the the word for this is expendability she is saying i'm going to put the comfort of my life as the queen really of the world aside and the comfort and the delicacies and the pampering that I get as the queen. I'm going to set all that aside for the good of my countrymen the good of the Jews and I'm going to if I die that's okay there's something more important than my comfort. If I perish so be it. I want God's safety for my people. It was, it was not allowed to just waltz into the presence of the king, even though you're married to him. He had to call for you. And if you did that, if you surprised the king of Persia, if he did not extend his scepter, then you would be killed on the spot. Esther had the perfect response or attitude. She was the perfect person for what God wanted her to do. She was in the perfect place, just as you are, for the God for the for the calling God had for her. And thirdly, she has the perfect response or attitude for what God wanted her to do. I wonder if you do. What is God asking you to do that's very difficult? Takes great courage. Stand up at work. Stand up at home. Do the things that God's asked you to do. Witness to a neighbor. Are you willing? Even though all it would cost you perhaps is a a little bit of embarrassment. It's not easy, is it, to tell someone they're a sinner on their way to hell? If they don't turn and come to Christ, there's no hope. But that's the message we need to share. There has to be a sense of sharing about sinfulness and God's saving grace. And, And yet sometimes we swallow those words. And here she had a message to deliver to the king. She says, it's going to take great courage, and if I perish, I perish, so be it. My mother got word this week, age 90, had a health care worker come into the nursing home where she is, and she had an opportunity to share the gospel with this lady, and the lady got saved. That's the second Health care worker my mother has led to the Lord. Still a missionary. And she and I had this conversation just last week. She says, I feel so useless, so empty, so without purpose. It feels like I'm just wasting my time. For COVID had brought them all in where they couldn't even go out. Couldn't get any visitors. And yet, God is using her, her courage to witness to others, even there. I'm so thankful for a mother with that missionary spirit. So this beautiful, poised, sacrificial kind of humble service that Esther portrayed, this feminine yet bold voice, changes the world. She goes into the very presence of her husband, the king. And he says, and she essentially says this, "If I can condense the story for sake of time, I know I'm not invited here, king, but I, but I want you to come to, a, to my home for a home-cooked meal. She must have been a southerner, a banquet. There'll be, there'll be grits and there'll be fried okra and fried chicken and I want you to come. I don't know if that's all in the text, but she came. She also invited Haman. This gentle appeal spoken like only a wife could speak, won his heart. They came to the, 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 the special home-cooked meal by the queen and he was so impressed with Esther's invitation that after that meal, he says to her, what do you want, dear? Up to half of the kingdom, I'll give it to you. What courage it took for this little girl to say, my people, I am a Jewish lady. My people are being oppressed by the decree of that man right there. And in chapter 8, tears begin to flow as she cries out, I want you to do something, O king, to stop the killing She came to the only man who could, and he did. And the great slaughter of the Jews was reversed by allowing the Jews to defend themselves. The Jews celebrate this wonderful day every winter. Feast of Purim, or lights. Haman's ten sons, instead of being elevated to positions of authority, are killed. The Jews are preserved. The purpose of God announced to all because of a lady a little girl, a woman who spoke in tears to a king in the right way, at the right time, to the right person, with the right attitude. And history was made. History was changed by one willing, sacrificial, intentional desire of a woman who says, I want, I, I'd like to do all this, perhaps. I'd like to be in a different place, perhaps. But God has placed me in this time, in this moment, for this. She's not saying whatever she's saying, I am expendable. At your service, Lord. I think sometimes every day, the dayliness of your lives, women, especially you who are moms, and you think, am I ever accomplishing anything for the sake of Christ? My life seems to be so humdrum, it's so routine, so daily, full of little things, as the video expressed, just picking up. Trash and washing clothes and straightening up things. Saying no a million times and a half over the same thing. Reminding, running lunches to kids who forget and forget and forget. And then disciplining again and keeping house. You have the right Spirit and all of that, do you see that God is going to use your heart and your life in a special way to influence? It's not a statement of fatalism. If I perish, I perish. He says simply, I'm going to pour out my life. I'm going to pour out my life for the cause of another. And moms, that's what I see you doing every day. Paul put it this way. If I am offered upon the sacrifice of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all, Philippians 2.17. No higher purpose than that. To set aside my comfort in order to see someone else advanced or protected, using this moment to be what God wants me to be. This day is Mother's Day the virtue I love the most about you all who are moms is that you have put, a, put the love of God, the love of family above the love of yourself. I see that little epistle read, stated, lived out every day in my home, my wife. And I got to tell you, I may preach the messages, but my wife lives them. Man, we know about that, don't we? Verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, lived out in the life of a godly woman like Esther. She stood, the king extended that golden scepter, and she touched it and said, Listen, my people are in jeopardy. Do something, please. She was the only voice in that situation that could have done that. Ladies, you're the perfect person, the perfect time, and the perfect place to influence and touch lives that God has given you to touch. May God bless you. May God bless all of us as we strive to be, to live sacrificially, To understand there's a greater purpose and cause than just making a little bit of money or getting the kids off to school. But God is doing a great work through us. And the real story is the rescue, the deliverance of God's people yet again from the demonic plot to destroy them all. And you know that same demon is at work around where you live? He's still trying to destroy your neighbor, your neighborhood. Our country, he's still after it, and he needs some esters. He'll stand up and say, I've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. May God help us to be courageous to stand tall. Father, how grateful we are for this wonderful story. It's a true story of a little girl who was willing, available to live an intentionally grace-filled life, to put aside her own pleasures, comfort. Endeavors for the sake, the greater cause of the nation. I'm so thankful, Lord, for her life. And I pray that we would ascribe to be more like Esther. What a great story. Love the end of that story where you pre- preserved and protected the Jews and uh, through that really act of defense put the devil on guard where thousands of the Persians who were anti-Semitic were, were killed because of the, the courage of this little one. Lord, I thank you for Esther's story, and I pray, Lord, that in our lives you give us the courage to be more like her. We pray these things thanking you for the calling you've given us to stand strong in an evil day and having done all, to stand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.